It does have to do with horses. Because if you carry something sweet on your person, you're walking down the street, you have the ability to attract a horse. And we got some really valuable horses. You may want to try this down on Versailles Road. You know, you get some, some derby winners down there. Try walking down the street. All of a sudden, you know, Secretariat's hopped the fence and he's going home with you. Right? But you shouldn't try that because it's technically illegal still in the state of Kentucky. All right? Now, we're going to play a game. That's a real law. But I've got some allegedly real laws. Some of them are real. Some of them are fake. Some of them are really on the books today. Some of them are not. Okay, we're going to play a game. Here in a minute, I'm going to ask everybody in the room to stand up. It's a very simple game. There's just a few simple rules, okay? Uh, we're going to go by process of elimination. Basically, if you can identify the real law correctly, you stay standing. If you guess wrong, you sit down, okay? And the rules are very simple. Number one is once, you lose, once you're out, once you get it wrong, you are out. There's no coming back in. Um, number two is we're trying to get down to just one person, okay? We got actually a pretty good prize, I think. Steve has for us, but, but we only have one of them, so there, there can only be, my bar card, that's not much of a prize, um, there can only be one winner though, okay, so we gotta, I've got to, by process of elimination, weed everybody out, okay, once you're out, you're out, you don't come back in, uh, one, number two, there can only be one winner, um, I think that's all the rules, I don't know, there might be some more, but here we go, okay, everybody stand up, if you're able, please stand up, please stand up. Some of you guys got that. All right, let's see the first question, first allegedly true law. Let's say, in Oregon, driving a, I, I struggle with the pronunciation here, fuchsia-colored car is illegal. Is that a real law or a fake law? Okay, oh, that's the third rule. Okay, this is all on your honor. Just in your head, answer, and then I, I'm, you know, I'm just going to trust you guys. Wives, hold your husbands accountable. I don't know who's going to hold the wives accountable, honestly, but this is on your own, okay? Real or fake? Is this a real law or a fake law? In Oregon, driving a fuchsia-colored car is illegal. Let's see the results. No, they don't have to say it out loud. It's in their head. Fake. So if you answered correctly, you can stay standing. If you answered wrong, sit down. On your honor, okay. Not very many people sit down. Okay, actually, that was just a practice. Everybody get back up. Get back up. It's fine. Everybody up. Okay, we got a few more. All right, now, the game is live now, okay? Not going to change anything from here on. All right, let's see the second law. In Iowa, a man with a mustache may never kiss a woman in public. Wow. Now, this is particularly relevant as mustaches have come back in style. Okay, answer for yourself in your head. Is that a real or a fake law? Real. Wow. Wow, that knocked out a lot of them. Okay. Thank you for being honest. Appreciate that. Let's see number three. Next one. In Arizona, hunting camels is prohibited. There is, there is desert in Arizona. We know that, right? Is it real or is it fake? Let's see the results. Real. Wow. That knocked out a bunch. John Suffin actually has a camel head in his, in his office downstairs, I think. All right. The next one. We're whittling them down a little bit. Oh, hold on. What? Well, I just got something in my ear. We've got reports of this side of the room cheating. Uh, you guys are all, please sit down. I'm so sorry. We've had some disqualifiers. I, I don't know who it was. They said somebody on the left side of the room has cheated. I'm so sorry. You guys are out. Sit down. Okay. All right. Right side of the room, you guys are still in. I said sit down. Everybody. Right side of the room, you guys are still playing. Uh, in Texas, it is punishable by law to claim to have met an extraterrestrial species. Very timely question, or very timely law here. Uh, all right, answer in your head, on your honor. Let's see. Fake. It's probably on the books in New Mexico. Okay? Uh, all right, so we're whittling down even further. Okay, I know I said nobody could come back in, but actually, if you're in, you can choose to save one person. 
So point at somebody, they get back in. All right? All right, good. Come on. Save somebody, for goodness sake. Benton. Baylor. Yeah, oh, he saved Doc Patterson. Wow. True, true sign of grace. All right, let's see the next question. Didn't I say nobody could get back in? Wow, just changing things up. Let's see the next one. In Arizona, donkeys cannot sleep in bathtubs. It's odd. I don't understand what the rule, what the reasoning would be. Um, but let's see the results. Answer in your head. Real. Wow. Doc Patterson is one of a handful that are still alive. Do we have another question or is that it? I thought we had plenty of questions. Well, we got to get down to one, only one winner, right? Okay. All right. This is our last question. All right. Never mind. Well, I thought we were going to be able to whittle it down to one. Turns out we are not going to be able to do that. So um, basically, if you get this question right, you win. Okay. So there might be more than one winner, in which case we can't give you the prize. So sorry about that, but let's see. In New Mexico, you cannot wear a onesie, onesie pajamas outdoors. Is that real or fake? Fake, not true. Ladies and gentlemen, we did get down to just a handful of winners. No prize, but let's give them a round of applause. Fantastic, okay, now you guys can sit down. All right, so if you noticed, we kind of set some rules at the beginning and those rules just kind of completely went away, right? The laws that we established uh, really didn't help anybody because we changed them as we went. And uh, there's something to that, actually. And if you notice in the Old Testament, when God gives us laws, even in the New Testament, when God gives us rules, it is for our benefit. There's actually grace within the law. We, we tend to think those things are at odds, right? There's grace and then there's law. Au contraire, there's actually reasoning. There's actually grace within the law. Doc's going to talk about that here in a little bit. In the meantime, I'm going to ask you all to get back up. We're going to go back into a time of worship.
greater things there's no power like the power of jesus let faith arise let all agree there's no power like the power of jesus i will believe for greater things there's no power like the
the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to breathe out of the silence. The rolling lion declared the grave has no grace is sufficient for each of us. We give you everything because you've given us so much in the work of Jesus Christ, our living hope. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys have a seat?
Good morning. A couple of years ago, we uh, started looking for the next lead pastor here at Capital City because at the end of this process, I'm going to be in my 70s and I'm getting old. We did well. We uh, discovered a young man that's going to, at the end of a three-year transition process, step into the lead here, Ben, Ben Webb, and uh, I think we did well in that search. Um, We are at the end of year one, and this is a three-year process, and everything is moving along as we had hoped that it would. I want to let you know that at the end of year one, there's a couple of changes that are taking place. Ben is going to be doing a little more preaching this year. We're going to split about 50-50 during this next year. Um, It'll be starting up coming basically the next month or two. You're going to see us basically splitting the preaching uh, chores more than we are now. And then I'm now the growth minister here at Capital City. Ben has been doing both growth and connections. I'm taking over growth. He's staying in connections. But those are kind of the changes that you're going to be seeing in this next year. But I... As far as I'm concerned, everything is going quite well. Just want to keep you guys up to speed as to what's going on. Does that make sense? Let's pray together. (laughs) Father, so grateful to be a part of this church family. And I'm especially grateful that you're here. What a difference that makes. We recognize that it's by your invitation that we are here. It's all grace. And now we pray, Lord, that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts, all of us, will please you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Okay, guys, I know that one of the worst burdens of being a friend to somebody is having to look at their vacation pictures, right? It's awful. They show you the pictures of the food they ate, the places they went, the people they met, the things they got to do. And I know I'm a twit, but I can only stand looking at so many selfies, right? And I don't care what your pasta looked like. So I'm going to show you some vacation pictures because I'm a hypocrite, right? Quite a few years ago, some of us from Cap City got to go to Israel and we got to see some of the places where the events of the Bible took place. It was really cool. Not because the geography was so amazing, but because we were standing on the same ground that guys like Abraham, Moses, David, and even Jesus had stood. It was so cool. And one of the many highlights was climbing up Mount Sinai. In fact, Julie rode up to the top of Mount Sinai on a camel. And Mount Sinai was spectacular, not because it was one of the prettiest places I've ever been, because it wasn't, but it was cool. It was spectacular because it was right there or somewhere close by that somehow God appeared to Moses. And people from all over the world were gathered there with us, not because of the beauty, but because it was right there or somewhere right close by that somehow God had appeared to Moses. And it became one of the key stopping points on this trail of grace that we are tracking through the scripture. And there came a reverence over the people that were there. And at one point, people from all over the world, all these different languages, started singing together, How Great Thou Art, in all these different languages, but singing together. It was a unique spiritual experience. So right there, God shows up and gives Moses what? 
gives them a bunch of rules, right? Not just the Big Ten, but apparently 613 rules, 248 do's and 365 don'ts. Hundreds and hundreds of rules. The law, the law of Moses. And if that's the case, how in the world could Mount Sinai be a stopping place in this trail of grace? And it wasn't just religious rules, moral rules. There were a boatload of rules about diet, sanitation, marriage, children, slaves, animals, property rights, crime and punishment. So why did God care to give us so many rules? <clears throat> As if life with God is supposed to be defined by rules. Doing the do's and avoiding the don'ts, right? Where's the grace in these rules? I'll show you. Let's dig a little deeper. The story of these Ten Commandments, which is what we're going to focus on, the story of the Law of Moses began a hundred, hundreds of years earlier, actually, with a guy named Abraham. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago. Abraham was the twit that God had chosen as kind of the trailhead of this trail of grace. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you might remember how we talked about how God, out of sheer grace, because Abraham had done nothing to deserve it, out of sheer grace, God chose Abraham and God said to him, I want you to leave your country, your relatives, your father's family, and I want you to go to the land that I'm going to show you. You don't know where it is yet, but I'm going to take you there, and I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and make you famous, and you're going to be a blessing to others. In fact, all of the families of the earth, us, are going to be blessed through you, he says. Just pack up and go. I'll tell you when we get there. And for some reason, Abraham went. Because God is kind of like God, right? Three chapters later, when Abraham has actually reached the land, that promised land, God tells Abraham this. He says, you can be sure that your descendants, your kids, are going to be strangers in a different land, a foreign land. And they're going to be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I'm going to punish that nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they're going to come away with great wealth. And after four generations, your descendants are going to return here to this promised land. Right? And that's exactly what happened. Because God is like God. Abraham's great-grandson, a guy named Joseph, was taken as a slave down to Egypt where he prospered. During a famine, he relocated all of Abraham's descendants to Egypt where they prospered for a time till they became a threat, at which time they were enslaved for four centuries, just like God had said. Until, fulfilling a promise that he had made to Abraham, God selected another dork named Moses to lead him out of Egypt. You probably know bits and pieces of the story. If you've never read the story in the Bible, you might remember one of the movies, right? How many of you guys remember Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments? Raise your hands. You guys are old, really old, okay? If you're a little bit younger, you might remember the DreamWorks animation, The Prince of Egypt. Some of you guys remember that one? Even younger yet, you might remember Exodus, Gods, and Kings a few years ago with Christian Bale and Sigourney Weaver, all going back to this famous story. I mean, the story of their escape from Egypt is all about the power of God. You've got these ten plagues, and then the parting of the sea, providing water out of a rock, bringing quail and manna for food. So these freed slaves had seen God's power. They'd seen his power. But did they know his heart? 
How do you do life with this stunningly powerful God? I mean, they had a lot of little g gods in that world. Not nearly this powerful, they thought. And they weren't particularly good gods. And so this band of misfits, slaves, ex-slaves, needed to get to know this God who had chosen them. And not chosen them because they were so special, but because of grace. See, they hadn't done anything to deserve God's grace either. So this ragged band of misfits needed to learn how to do life. Do life with God. Do life together. None of these people had been responsible for themselves before. They'd been slaves. So they had no governmental system. They had no king, no judicial system. They had no laws, no rules. Just this dork Moses, this pillar of fire and smoke that seemed to represent the power of God that was always around them. Now, this is going to be hard, but imagine you are one of these refugees. Imagine you're one of them. And you're surrounded by a bunch of other people who have no experience in community building. They didn't have community organizers back then, whatever that means. They didn't have any rules. They didn't have any laws yet. And even if there were a few laws, there was nobody to enforce them. No police, no courts. What would you do if there were no laws? How would you treat your neighbors if there were no laws, no consequences? Would you be nice to them? Why? How would your neighbors treat you if there were no laws? How would you guys treat each other if everybody got to do whatever was right in your own eyes? It may be wrong to you, but it doesn't mean it's wrong to them. Whatever's your right doesn't mean it has to be their right. Without a moral code, what's to prevent absolute barbarian chaos? Think movies like The Purge. Or if you read a lot, Lord of the Flies, right? So one of the most gracious things God could do for this people that he had chosen by grace was to give them some rules. You see, establishing a cohesive community requires either strong moral values or strong rules, laws, right? And they had neither one. They had neither one. Morals takes time to cultivate. What they need now is some rules, borders, guardrails, over all kinds of things like diet, sanitation, marriage, children, animals, property rights, crime and punishment. And more than anything else, they needed to know how to do life with God. But 613 of them? That's a lot. 248 do's, 365 don'ts? I don't think I could remember that many. On the other hand, according to Wikipedia, and if it's on Wikipedia, it's got to be true, right? Right? Our feds in our country have passed about 30,000 laws just the feds. And that doesn't include their regulations. I glanced at one Forbes article that said that in, the, in one set of 20 years, our feds had passed 88,899 regulations. That's just the feds. That's not state. That's not local. 613 doesn't sound too bad compared to ours, right? And this is huge. These rules... This law was never, ever meant to be the end of the story. 
God never intended to set up a system of do's and don'ts that you've got to do or don't in order to get in. These laws were never intended as a substitute for grace. I'll show you. So God opens up his law with 10 commandments. I know there's 613 of them total, but these are the big 10. In fact, if you want, you can almost see all the rest of them as commentary on this big 10. It is the single most famous law code in history. Still probably the most controversial law code in history. I don't know if you've ever followed the legal battles over the posting of these 10 commandments in the schools or in one of our government buildings. I'm not sure that you're familiar with all of the theological battles that have been fought in our churches or whether these commandments apply to you. You're a Jesus follower. Do they still apply to you? Now, here's what I get a kick out of. There's this irony that these Ten Commandments are fiercely defended by so many people who don't have any idea what's in them, right? Do you think they're important, the Ten Commandments? How important do you think they are? Can you name them? I read about one church that did an informal poll, and they discovered that most Jesus followers can name two or three of the Ten Commandments, even those who fiercely defend them. Some were actually able to name three or four. I mean, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet, right? Nobody they polled can name them all. Not a single person. In fact, nobody they polled can name the first four which are the most important of the Ten Commandments. Without the first four, it's almost as if the rest are foolishness, I think. Now, if you look at these Ten Commandments, they kind of divide into two different sets. The first four govern your relationship with God. The second six govern your relationships with each other. Guys, if it doesn't start with God, whatever rules you make governing your relationships with each other, simply not going to work. Just look outside. In fact, these two sets kind of correspond to the two great commandments that are given to us by Jesus. Some dude asked Jesus to pick out the single greatest commandment in the law, and Jesus says there are two of them. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Remember that? He said that's the first and the greatest, and the second is kind of like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love him like God does right? First deals with your relationship with God. The second deals with your relationship with each other. Same pattern that you find in the Ten Commandments. Bottom line, you can't have one without the other. So the very first rule that God gives to this ragtag bunch of immoral people, maybe amoral, he says, I am your God. I am the big G God. I am your Lord. I am the one who rescued you from the land of Egypt. And you must not have any other God but me, he says. I'm it. I am the big G God, he says. And you didn't pick me, I picked you. You didn't earn my favor, you didn't earn your way in. I graced you. God says, you may have forgotten all about me, and it looks to me like they did, but I didn't forget you. Guys, it still works that way. Now, you cannot imagine how different this was for these Hebrews. 
In their world, everyone believed in God. In fact, they believed in a bunch of them. It was down in Egypt, and you have gods like Isis and Osiris and Oris and Anubis and Ammon and Ra and Hathor and about 2,000 more gods down in Egypt, most all of them governing some little tiny slice of life. The idea of having a personal relationship with just one of these gods wasn't on their radar. And here's this super God who tells them, I am the Lord. I am the big G God. I am your God. This is personal. You're mine. And you will have no other gods but me. You want to know why? Because there are no other gods but me, he says. And if you look at it, God chose them before they even knew him. God chose them before they even knew the rules. They didn't have to do the do's and don't the don'ts in order to get in. They just had to trust him, kind of like you and me. He was not giving them these laws as a way to build a relationship with him. They were already in a relationship with him. They're already in because of a promise that he'd made to a twit named Abraham centuries before. Because God always keeps his promises. There is no other God but me, he says. I am the one and only. So I will be your one and only. So don't turn to some wannabe God to help you with your crops, help you when you're sick, help you with your kids or whatever else. You come to me, he says, because I am the one and only. Now, I don't know if you can understand how great a leveler this is. Because he's talking to all the people. And he says, it doesn't matter how powerful you are, or not powerful, it doesn't matter how popular you are, or disregarded, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how self-sufficient you think you are, he says, I am your God. Same thing to us. I am your God, I am the only one, because I am the one and only. Do you get that? That still applies, guys. And in one respect, all of the other Ten Commandments, in fact, all of the other 613 laws of Moses, in fact, all of the other laws that we try to live by as Jesus followers, they're rooted in this one. I am the Lord your God. You can have no other gods but me. You don't follow some person or some cause. You don't pursue as your top-end education, beauty, or comfort. It's not about family or science or sex. It's not about money or self. He says, I am the Lord, your God. I'm the one and only. Now listen, guys, this is not about rules. This is about reality. He says it because it is. There is a God and there is a way to do life with God His way. Commandments 2, 3, and 4, they all kind of unpack commandment number 1. They're all about defining this relationship with this big G God. Commandment number 2, no idols. By the way, be glad this commandment is in there because it may be one that you haven't broken. I suspect you've broken all the rest, right? But back then, idols were standard operating procedure. I mean, the idea of an invisible God is hard for us. It was inconceivable to them. 
So in their world, they would fashion all these little images of one of their gods, and then they'd pray to them, and they'd offer sacrifices to them. Sometimes they'd even feed and clothe them. And says, God says, they're not real, guys. They're not real. In fact, he says, don't even make an idol of me. In fact, when Moses is up on Sinai getting these things, and the people are down below fashioning that golden calf that Ben talked about, that may have been their way to try to picture this big G God. And God says, no idols, not even of me. Which is why the Jews from that point forward would not tolerate any statue, any picture of Yahweh. You wouldn't find it in their temple, you wouldn't find it in their synagogues, you wouldn't find it in their homes. Because whatever you think God looks like, it's too small. Whatever you can conceive of Whatever you can create, he's more. He's bigger. We want a God that we can fit into our boxes. We want a God that we can manipulate, that we can cajole to support our agendas. He won't play. Commandment number three, he says, don't misuse my name. If I am your Lord, if I am the only big G God, then be careful with my name. He says, show some respect to your God, he says. Have you ever blown that one off? Now, I know that we're not under the Old Testament, the Old Covenant with God, but do you think that gives us a right to disrespect the name of God? I don't think so. Now, the Jews came to understand this one in two ways. Number one is you can't say derogatory things about God. And number two, to them, you couldn't even say his name. You couldn't even say the name of God. I mean, think about it. All kinds of bad stuff comes out of our mouths, right? You ever lie? You ever gossip? You ever speak words that are mean and hateful? So how could you even say the name of God without your dirty mouth soiling it, according to their logic? But we usually think this verse is about profanity, swearing, using God's name in vain. You know, OMG. Or you hit your thumb and you're like, Jesus. Why do we pick the only name that we're forbidden to speak? You get mad at someone and you ask God to damn them. And the third commandment probably does speak to the flippant ways that we toss around the name of God. But maybe it goes deeper than that. Maybe we violate God's name whenever we attach His name to something that He doesn't. Have you ever said something that dishonors God and then blamed it on God? Just speaking God's truth right after speaking words of hate? Have you ever done something that dishonors God and then blamed it on God? You ever say something stupid like, God made me this way, as you do something that dishonors Him? Have you ever worn the name Christian as you engaged in behavior that was clearly not Christian? I wonder if that's one of the ways that we misuse His name. Serious stuff, guys. And then commandment number four. He says, set aside a day a week to celebrate your relationship with this big G God. It's not a suggestion. The Old Testament, it's a command. By the way, unless you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you don't follow this command either, literally. We do not observe the Sabbath here at Capital City because we're Jesus followers. We do set aside a day a week to celebrate our relationship with the big G God. 
But as Jesus followers, we set aside the first day of the week, not the seventh, the Sabbath. Because in the new covenant with God, we celebrate the Lord's day. The day that Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus followers have been celebrating it on this day for 2,000 years. Big four. No other gods but me, because there are no other gods but me, he says. No idols. Respect my name. And set aside a day a week to remember who you are and whose you are. And Everything else... All the rest of the Ten Commandments, all the rest of the 613 laws kind of flows out of these. Do you understand that? Without these four, I don't care how good you are. Without these four, I don't care what good you do. How many of the do's you do and how many of the don'ts you avoid. Life with God starts with acknowledging and serving the big G God. You understand that? It's the heart of the Ten Commandments. Now remember, Jesus had identified two great commandments. Love God with all you are and all you've got. And number two, love each other. Honor and respect each other the way that I see them. And that's exactly how these Ten Commandments lay out. First four, worship and serve God. All of the rest, respect and honor each other. You can't do one without the other. The next set of six commandments are highly relational. They're about how to live together in a God-honoring way. And I know that they may seem kind of intuitive to some of you guys, but the reason they are is that they have been a bedrock of our legal system for thousands of years now. But these commands are brand new to these ex-slaves from an immoral world. These refugees had just emerged from an environment in which there was no Bill of Rights, They just emerged from an environment in which people were not valued, where those who were in power lived by a different set of rules than those who had no power. They'd grown up in a world like ours, where sin had made the world a very dangerous and ugly place. Sin is kind of like a cancer that corrupts everything, including how we treat each other. So out of grace... Out of grace, God gives these refugees a set of rules to live by. Not so they could become God's people. They already were God's people. But so they could understand how to live like God's people. Rules that applied to everybody. Same rules for the rich as well as the poor. For the powerful as well as the powerless. For the beautiful people as well as those who were not so beautiful. The kings as well as their servants. Laws of God, not of men. The great leveler, elevating the status of those who had had no rights before. Women, children, foreigners, even slaves. Divine rights, irrespective of power, social status, wealth, because every single one of us is answerable to the same God, right? Now, just to ease your fears, I'm not going to dig through all the other commandments. We're almost done. Just a couple of comments on set two. The next set starts with honor your parents. Go figure. How weird is that? We forget that one too. I mean, we remember the don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie stuff. But honor your parents is first in the second set. Isn't that weird? 
but maybe not, really. I mean, I've read those who say that your church, your community, your nation is never going to be stronger than its families. And if you look around at the problems we're facing as a nation, they may be right. Maybe because how you treat your parents will influence how you treat others. Do you understand that? How you respect your parents or disrespect them will influence how you respect or disrespect others. And by the way, the word here is honor. And honor may be deeper than just respect. In our world, honor is usually applied to someone with more standing than you. So the command to honor your parents goes beyond just obeying them begrudgingly. And by the way, you'll notice that it doesn't say honor your parents if they deserve it. It just says honor them. So worship and serve God, honor your parents, and the next five are all about respecting the people you do life with, right? Don't murder, honor their bodies. Don't commit adultery, honor their marriages. Don't steal, honor their property. Don't lie, honor their reputation. Don't covet, don't even think your sin. And Jesus took these commands and drove them way deeper. Now think about it, guys. Which of these rules do you think is unnecessary? Which would you toss? Which one do you think is negotiable? God is not telling these Hebrews how to get in. He's telling these Hebrews what a life well-lived looks like. He's guiding them to the good life. That's grace. Someday you won't need all these rules, he says. Someday all you're going to need is two. Love God with all you are and love each other God's way, and that's going to be enough. It's about how to honor our God, and he's our God whether you acknowledge him or not, and it's about how to respect each other as children of God. And I know that we fail a lot. God knows that we fail a lot. Which is why in the middle of all of these laws, he gives some instructions on sacrifices. A way to get right with God again. That's grace. A temporary fix until God sent his own son into the world to fix what we broke once and for all. Which was grace on steroids. Think about it, guys. I suspect that your greatest regrets, if you have some deep shame, your most painful memories come from those times when you chose to disregard doing life God's way. You see, God didn't give us these rules to make our life harder. He gave us these rules to guide us into the very best life possible. Now, most of these Ten Commandments are reaffirmed in the New Covenant with God, our covenant with God. Some of the 613 as well, not all of them. Many of them are just temporary. The Apostle Paul put it like this. He said the law, the law of Moses, was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us till we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer lead the law, need the law as our guardian because you're all children of God now through faith in Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad? Because if it was simply about following the rules, we'd all be hosed. How would you like to stand before God and be judged simply on the Ten Commandments? Simply on those ten. 
And think of those Ten Commandments as kind of links of a chain, and you're hanging from that chain, and if one of them fails, you're host. You will have no other gods but me, God says. I will always be first in your life. Have you ever broken that one? That link of the chain? No idols. Be glad that one's in there. That one you might get right. Never misuse my name, God says. Ever abuse that one? Keep the Sabbath. Set aside a day a week to honor your relationship with God. Have you ever blown that one off? Don't murder. In fact, Jesus says, don't even let your anger get out of control. Ever been there? No adultery. In fact, Jesus says, don't even think it. Ever been there? No stealing, no lying, no coveting. Pretty sure, guys, that if we were under the law, every single one of us would be host. But God didn't give us the law as a way, a way in. It's grace. He called them to be his own before they ever knew any of the rules. He gave these guidelines to people who were clueless about doing life God's way in a world that was clueless. It was grace. And these rules leveled the playing field. Same rules applies to everybody, no exceptions. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, powerful or powerless. You serve the one and only God. That is grace. And when they violated the law, and God knew they would, he made a way for them to deal with their sin. And that was grace. And it's that way for us too, guys. We don't follow the rules to earn our way into the favor of God. God loved us, and he called us before we knew even one of the rules. And when you violate the will of God, he's already taken care of your sin in Jesus. That's grace on steroids. And he levels the playing field. There's no Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, black nor white, rich nor poor poor, there is no intersectionality in the kingdom of God. We are one in Christ Jesus, and it's all grace. And guys, doing life with God, for God, God's way, is the very best life possible. You believe that? That's from our God. If you've not started that life with God, we need to talk. At, during the Lord's Supper time, I'm going to hang around somewhere here in the front. Just come on down and let's talk. Or in the back of the room, in that prayer room, there's an elder who's praying for you right now. Slip back and talk to him. Or if you don't want, after the service is over, I'm going to hang around up here. Let's talk, right? If you want to make Cap City your home, come on up during that uh, Lord's Supper time and let's chat about that. Let's just go ahead and get it done. If, if he's your king and you want to do life with us, you're welcome here. Let's pray together. Father, even giving us these rules was grace, and we're grateful to give us a peek, some indication of what it means to do life your way, to love you first, and to respect the people we do life with. Give us the wisdom, the courage to live as children of God in a very broken world. And Father, if there are those in this room that have not made you their king yet, 
pray that you'll keep nudging them. I know you will. And I pray that you give them the courage to respond so we can do the right thing. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Than able. 
so much for us. You've shown us over and over again that you have loved us and given us grace and mercy at every step of the way. In your word and in our lives, Father, we believe and trust in who you are. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. As we go to the tables here in a few moments, we're going to be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And when you go, you'll have some bread and some juice. These are reminders. They're elements of, of what the first communion service looked like. When the bread and juice were given, they are representative of his body and his blood. And if you want to know more about that later on, we'd love to talk to you. If this is uh, uh, your home and you want to give an offering, there are boxes at each of the worship stations that you can do that. And after that first part, if you want to give something even beyond that, there are these white buckets that we call generous. So be generous if you want to. Let's go to the tables right now and remember what Jesus Christ has done. come a long way I've seen how you work there's so much goodness and grace much more than I deserve cause I know who I am and I can't stay was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my Failures I've tried 
sin was here Chains break at the weight of your glory I needed shelter, I was an orphan Now you call me a citizen of hell When I was broken, you were my healing Now your love is the hell just a couple things with you very briefly, all right? Uh, we have a Jesus Prom happening this Friday. If you're signed up for that, make sure you're there when you need to be there. We've got trainings going on right now and in the second service, and it's not too late. You want to get in, feel free. Go, go be a part of what we're doing. It'll be a great thing to do. Also, next week is our last staycation event. Uh, you're supposed to wear your school stuff today. This is the closest I had, all right? But next week's our last one. We're doing our Cupcake Wars. Darlena's participating in that. She's challenging you to it, so you got to show up. Make sure you bring those cupcakes in. They need to be in the office by Friday at some point. I don't know what's out there. You'll figure it out, all right? So that's really important. And then right now, right after service, we have our Getting Started 101 back in our connections uh, room. So when you walk out to your left, uh, we'll be in there to answer any questions you may have about who this Jesus guy is, what it means to have a relationship with him, what it looks like to follow him. We'd love to have those conversations with you if you've got any of those questions or concerns. Now, Darlena's joining me here because we're going to talk about nudges. Our nudges for, our, for August is we're doing our back-to-school supplies, and I want to encourage you to just bring stuff in, kind of set them over here in the, in the foyer. We'll have those set up, but we want to also let you know that they're there for you to take, all right? And so we want to encourage you to bring school supplies in. If you need school supplies, take them. If you've got a neighbor, you've got a friend, maybe you're a teacher and you want to do some stuff in your classroom, take them. All right, that's what they're here for. So that's a, it's a put and it's a take. That's a hunting thing that I heard one time, right? So we're going to put the supplies in, but it's also a place where you can take them. We want to take care of each other in this. And we have Darlena up here because she loves our nudges. And so I want to ask you, uh, is it on? It is now. There we go. Thank you. There we go. Darlena. Darlena loves our nudges. She loves what we do with all that. And so Darlena, why don't you just tell us why you love our nudges so much? I think our nudges gives us a way to serve. And that the Bible tells us we are to serve. We are to serve the Lord. And so nudging gives me an opportunity to get out there and do something for our church to serve others and in a large capacity. That's great. Excellent, excellent. And so, again, we're, we're talking about next-level service this month, and this is where it all connects in with this idea of nudges. And so one of the things that Darlena has done that's really, really cool, she's loved what we've done with nudges so much that she's personalized it, and she's, like, started her own trajectory for nudges, all right? And so if you look up, there's a picture here of a nudge that she does every month. And so what is that, Darlena? I make cookies every month. 
I put a little label on a little bag of cookies and I go out into our community to uh, hand them out and invite people to our church. And they can throw my cookies away, that doesn't bother me, but as long as they'll read my little label. And I've been out in the community, I've gone to Mark's Barbershop, I've gone to my bank, I've gone to Lowe's, I have handed out cookies to the farmhouse. I have gone to the library, to the car dealerships, just locally, and they may say, oh, there's the crazy cookie lady from Capital City, but that's better, you know, at least they know that I'm a Christian, and it's not that they know my name or anything, but I'm just doing something for the Lord. That's really cool. What do you think this has done for you? Oh, what it's done for me is just overflowed my heart knowing that I am fulfilling and doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Doc says we're supposed to drag people to heaven, so I'm going to do my part to get others there to go with me. That's just really cool. We really appreciate Darlena and what she does. And one of the things that we love about our nudges is that they're simple. We are specifically designing simple ways that you can be involved and impact people around around us within this church and within our community. So we want to encourage you to do that. We are way over time, so I please please just leave. All right? We'll see you next week. <laughs>